0: Thanks for checking out the Crossing College and Career podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you and challenges you to walk confidently in your identity in Christ. Well, I want to get right into the message. I am super pumped up about it because it's changed like 15 times and that's what God does. So it has nothing to do with the beach bash, it has nothing to do with summer, it has nothing to do with the food or drinks that you guys have. I thought it was going to, I thought it was going to have to do with serving. That's what we're doing as a church, and that's very important, but it doesn't have to do with that. But I do believe that God has been taking me personally through something, that, especially the past couple weeks, that has been so impactful in my life. And I, I want to preface this message with I'm not through it yet. This is something I am actually still walking through, but I think God wanted me to share it with you because he's allowed me to pinpoint some areas in my life where I think I've fallen short, I've been a little selfish, and I'm not calling you out. I can let, Once you hear the message, you can see for yourself where you're at. But the point of the message is for us to gauge, man, where am I in my relationship with God? Like, where exactly am I sitting? Am I doing all I can? Am I doing all he's asked me to do? And like Nick said, am I in the will of God? And that is, these are multiple questions that I've been asking myself, especially over the past couple of weeks. So as we go into the message, I really just want you to sit in a position Of really receptiveness and submission to say, okay, God, where am I? Where am I? And I think it's really going to change your life around for the better. And I love that we were, when they were up here worshiping, um, they were saying, let it rain, let it rain. I mean, over and over again, God showed me, and I don't get visions or pictures in my head ever, but I got a picture of my backyard and rain. And there, there's an area in my backyard where when it rains a lot, and that happens in Florida, it's about to start happening. But the rain just piles up to a point where I literally think my house is going to flood. And it's like piling up. And this happens, I know, in a lot of places. And so I was thinking, I was like, all right, God, what does that mean? And every time we sing, you know, let it rain, you know, from heaven, that's all good and well. But what are we doing with the rain? God was asking me. Are we, uh, the rain is supposed to you know, fertilize and make things grow, and it's supposed to be a healthy thing, but when you're not doing anything with it, it piles up, and rain can be tumultuous and can turn into flooding, and there can be a lot of chaos that comes after it, right? So what are we doing with what God is dropping down from heaven? Are we keeping it for ourselves, or are we pushing it out to others? Are we teaching God what he's teaching? Are we teaching others what God is teaching us? And I think it's the perfect, I had no opening, so thank you God that that happened. But we're going to be talking about making disciples. And you're, uh, what I'm going to do is i want to walk through kind of a framework of how Jesus did that. And you'll see how he makes them. But what, the question I want you guys to ask yourself is, where do I fit in this picture? Because we're going to be talking, I believe there's a couple of different types of disciples. And so I'm going to show you what scripture says about it. But I want you, you to ask yourself the question of, man, where do I sit as these disciples? Where am I at? Does that sound good? Okay, Father, please give me clarity of mind and help me. Speak to your people. God, you've got a word, and I pray for hearts to be opened right now. I pray for a receptiveness. I pray for a motivation, a desire for every single person in here to want something new from you, God. Allow us to strip ourselves of what we may have brought in here, God. Allow us to have a real receptiveness, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how weird, God. I pray we have a receptiveness to your word. I thank you for the power it holds. I thank you for the truth it holds. And I pray we receive it in a way that changes us from the inside out. I pray this in Jesus' name. So, making disciples, right? Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of age. So, first question is, what is a disciple? In lamest terms, a disciple is just a student, but I want to take it a little bit further. I believe a disciple is a student who disciplines themselves in the teachings and practices of somebody they trust. There's a couple big points in that, one of them really being trust. You see, we can't really call ourselves a disciple of take Jesus or anything if there's no trust with that person. People can teach us things. We can learn from them. It reminds me of like, you know, does anybody have like the crazy junk uncle, the weird guy who family gatherings like he knows a lot of stuff. But you're like, there's something a little off. I don't know if I'll trust you, but I'll take some things from you. I'll listen to you. I'll learn from you every once in a while. I just don't know if I'll trust you, you know. So trust, I believe, is a huge key right here. So there's trust. And then the second part here is the discipline. So, yes, we glean wisdom, you know, from people that we're with. um, But. A true disciple, I believe, disciplines themselves into whatever the teachings and practices of are the person that they say they're a disciple of. So we got that, right? So that's what a disciple is, but what does a disciple do? There's three things, really quick. One, a disciple listens to Jesus. So we're going to move into Christian discipleship. A, a, A disciple listens to Jesus. No one can say they're a disciple of anybody unless they listen it's the hanging on every single word that Jesus says. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like the bread when you're hungry, you know, the water when you're thirsty. We can't be a disciple unless we're first listening. So that's number one. Number two is a disciple learns from Jesus. So listening is fantastic, but we have to be willing to learn. When, when Jesus calls him, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. Learning from Jesus is the foundation of what every single disciple believes. So we've got listening, we've got learning. The third and last thing is a disciple obeys. So listening, learning, obeying. No one can call themselves a disciple unless they obey every single thing they listen to and every single thing they learn. Putting Jesus' teachings into practice is the actual fruit of real discipleship. So we've got what? Listen, learn, obey. So it may seem obvious, but a disciple has to do all three of these things. All three of them. The reason I point that out is because there are a ton of people, I believe, and I think we can all see sometimes, who maybe just do one or maybe do two. There's people who call themselves disciples. There's people who call themselves Christians. There's people who call themselves followers of Jesus. But are they listening as well as learning, as well as obeying, right? I think we've all seen examples of that maybe not happening. They're trying to be somebody that they're not. They're trying to sell themselves as something that they aren't. It's like... I was in high school probably a lot longer ago than you guys, but in high school, even college, I've got these friends. I know you probably still have them too. Everybody's an entrepreneur right now, right? Who has the friend that like has an entrepreneur like in their Instagram bio? Do people agree with that? I don't know how they became an entrepreneur. Like, I've known them for a while. I don't seem that way, but they've got like, you know, the plane emoji in their Instagram bio because you know they're not catching feelings, they're catching flights. That's their thing. You know, it's like, dude, you've been to Iowa twice to see your family. You've never been on a plane to see for no business of any sort. You never have. But it's like, what are they talking about? They're an entrepreneur. They, you know, post Gary Vee videos all day. They post their, you know, wake up at 4 a.m., Mark Wahlberg's workout routine. You know, you got to journal, hustle, be your own boss, early bird gets the worm, you know, monetize, all these words they start using. It's like, Eric, like, you sell Herbalife. (laughs) Like... You're not going to make it on Shark Tank, selling Herbalife. Are you really an entrepreneur? You're selling me a bag of goods, and everything on the outside looks great. Like, yeah, you're doing the things that maybe other entrepreneurs do, but is that really who you are? And so what I want to get into is the three different types of followers here that Jesus really had. And the word follow, especially in the Gospels, it's used a lot, but there's three types that Jesus distinguished. And number one was large crowds who were interested in listening to him. These are people, it says a lot of times, there's a large crowd who followed him. These people wanted to be healed, right? And then number two, some of these individuals, Jesus actually invited to follow him. So it was a little bit more in depth. They, they actually started to learn a couple of things from Jesus. They weren't just listening. And then the third, the last ones, these are the people who followed Jesus, who he empowered to go and preach the gospel. He gave them his authority. And so we see the distinction here, and we're going to go back to what I talked about previously. Throughout his ministry, he's breaking them down into listeners, the big crowds who followed, the learners, the people who listened and took the actual steps to learn on a more consistent basis. And then we have the goers. So we're going to call these people the goers, the obedient ones. These are the people who took listening, they took learning, and they did something about it. They became true, devout followers of Jesus, true disciples. And I think the funny thing was about Jesus that I see is he was never really focused on a big crowd. And I say that's interesting because the Bible's chock full of him saying like all these thousands of people followed him all the time. And he cared about those people. It talks about how many of them he healed, but he wasn't really concerned about them. And I believe we can learn something from Jesus in that aspect, and it's that when he says go and make disciples, right, we're we're all interested in a crowd, especially if you're, you know, a pastor or um, someone who speaks to people. Like, yeah, a crowd just feels better, right? It seems like the right thing to do. You want more people, but when Jesus He's talking about a crowd. Like I said, he's not really that concerned. And I think what he's saying to us is, man, it's great to have that ambition to go to the ends of of the earth, go to different countries, preach on big stages, do all these things. In and of themselves, they're not bad. But Jesus is telling us, like, I've given you a circle of influence to go after first. And I think a lot of the times we look past that because it's, it's difficult to talk about Jesus and maybe look foolish in front of our friends, but it's a little easier when it's a stranger. Because you know those people may judge you. And so Jesus is saying, man, that's great that you have this ambition to go out into the world. That's awesome. But what have you done with what I've given you already? Are you stewarding those people well? Are you giving them that Jesus so I can expand your territory? I think there's something to learn from Jesus when it comes to crowds. And it's funny, like, you know, even the man um, with leprosy that Jesus healed, he was like, hey, make sure you don't tell anybody about this like, why would you not want people to know? It's almost like he's minimizing the crowd that he could attract. But Jesus did this because his true mission here was to multiply real disciples. And we're going to go through four different phases of how Jesus did that. And basically what they are is first Jesus starts, obviously with his ministry, when he begins, there's like no followers, but we'll see the trajectory as it goes up and goes up and goes up. And then it'll go down and it'll go up and go up and it'll go up and go down. We're going to follow that. And the other thing is, so it goes, Jesus attracts listeners first, and then he calls learners from the listeners, and then he sends goers from the learners. So we're still following that model there. So let's look at Jesus's ministry, how it begins. We're going to go through Luke, and we're going to see exactly how he did this. So basically, Jesus, he was baptized by John. He went into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted. He was tempted by the devil. Um, And we pick up in Luke 4, 14 through 15. Luke 4, 14 through 15, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in synagogues, and everyone praised him. So it's at this point, Jesus is gaining a ton of attraction, a ton of attention. His followers are increasing rapidly, and Jesus, though, when all these people start to come, as we know, he's not content with just that crowd. What he's looking for is true disciples, people who are really going to obey him. So Luke 5 picks up, and it tells us right after this that Jesus sees two boats. One of them ends up being Simon's, and it says he goes in the boat, and he says, hey, push out from ashore. He teaches for a little bit, and then he tells Simon, he says, hey, why don't you lower the nets for a catch to catch some fish? Simon's like, dude, we've been fishing all night. I haven't caught nothing. And he's like, lower your nets for a catch. So Simon says, okay, lowers the nets. As soon as he brings them back up, full of fish to the point where the nets break. They're putting them in the boats, and the boats, they say, start to sink. And so Luke 5, 8, 11, when Simon Peter sees this, he fell at Jesus' feet. He said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions, they were astonished at this catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is what Jesus was looking for. Not just a listener who could get a quick healing and then go back to their town or village and go on with their life, but people who were truly willing to learn. And so after a few months, Jesus sees that his followers are growing even more rapidly, so he has to raise the bar a little more. He's got listeners. He's got learners. How can he raise the bar? Luke 6, 12-14. One of these days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, chose 12, whom he also designated apostles. A couple verses later, Luke 6, 17. He went down to them, stood on a level place. A crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, uh, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. Who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. So, those couple verses that I just read, if we look back at them, we see here a distinction. We have the 12 apostles who we knew would end up to be goers, right? Luke 6 17 says, We have a large crowd of his disciples. I believe these are the learners. And then it says, A great number of people after that. It makes a distinction between the large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people. I believe those were the listeners. But the question is, what's the difference, really? What's the difference between a learner and a goer, really? We're in Luke 6. Luke 6 through 9, basically, Jesus does a ton more teachings, miracles, healings, and gains a lot more followers. Then, in Luke nine one two, it gives us the answer of what the difference is. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So the difference is the goers had the authority. They had the power to preach and heal. And Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has given us, every single person in this room, that same exact ability. This is exactly what he's given us access to is this same thing the original 12 apostles had. It's at this point, though, where true multiplication in Jesus' ministry begins. Essentially, he sends these 12 out, and there's multiple Jesuses running around teaching and healing and doing miracles. And so these apostles, they go out and then they return, but this is the turning point. Remember when I talked about earlier that Jesus had a ton of followers and then would drop and then would go up and then would drop. There was a turning point here where Jesus, he's taking his 12 disciples. So we still have listeners, we still have learners, we still have goers, right? But he's taking his 12 apostles to a city called Bethesda. But as they're going, a crowd sees them and they start to follow them. So Jesus obviously has compassion on them. It was a crowd of 5,000 men, it says, which their families were with them. So it could have been upwards of more than twenty thousand people overall, but we all know what happens, right? The miracle with Jesus feeding the five thousand, with the five loaves of bread, the two fish. They had lo- they had some even left over after that. So Jesus seems accommodating here, but what he says next? He's got all this attention. He's got all these followers. All these people love him. The next day, John 6 tells us when he goes to Galilee that it says, hey, if you really want to be a true disciple of mine, if you want to abide in me, it says, you've got to eat my flesh and you've got to drink my blood. We're not shocked by that. But this dude was basically to imagine, like we know that's in remembrance of God right now. It's so easy. We can't even really connect to it. Imagine not knowing that that's communion, so to speak. Imagine someone coming up to you and saying, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You're a freaking psychopath is what I would say to him, and I would leave. I I, I, tr- I make fun of that, but I truly ask myself this question. I don't know if I would have been in the goer category, though. I'm, I'm being real with myself. I don't know if I would have said, okay. I really don't. That took something else for people to say, okay, I'm still with you. And That is what God is trying to get us to go after, is that mentality because I don't know if I could have done it. And so Jesus, he has all these people, he says this, and it turns off everybody, the multitudes, those listeners, a ton of those learners, they all go away. There's a remnant left, the 12 apostles. I believe some learners are still there too, but no good church leader or businessman or anybody, like, People and numbers are where the money's at or where the influence is at or where the success is at. It just makes sense, right? Nobody in their right mind would have all these people and say, you know what? I'm going to turn about 90% of these people off so they don't follow me anymore. Who does that? Jesus had a different mindset. He isn't motivated by numbers. He isn't motivated by programs. He isn't motivated by ministries or these other things. He's motivated by true discipleship. I came here for a mission to make real disciples, That's what he's here for. And so Jesus, basically, he continues to do ministry after this, obviously. The crowds, they were slim to none, start to climb back up, though. He's doing miracles. He's doing healing, teaching. Jesus, over the next year, goes to Jerusalem three more times. The the first two that he went, he barely escaped with his life. The other one, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then after that, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are like, we have to kill this guy when he comes here again. Like, we have to. So that's the point where we're at in Jesus' ministry. And Luke 9.51 says, As time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus knows, you know, ministry is coming to an end sometime soon. But before it's finished, what he wants to do is promote more learners into goers, just like those 12. So Luke 10.1 says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So basically, Jesus has 84 goers now. Now, Jesus' death is gonna come. So he's got he built that crowd back up and he said, Hey, I need to turn more learners and go. He's got 84 of them now. He's built the crowd back up, and then Jesus dies. What do you think those listeners, the crowds, those people who weren't really invested did? They freaking dipped. (laughs) They were like, dude, this guy is not here to save us. He's dead. That's what they did. They were nowhere to be found. He's not going to restore us. It's impossible. He's dead. So it dips back down again. But there's a remnant of learners again. 1 Corinthians 15.6 it says after his resurrection he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep also jesus appeared to 40 or to his apostles over a period of 40 days and so after this acts 1 tells us there's 120 people in the upper room they get baptized in the holy spirit they're full of power they go into the streets at Pentecost they start preaching the gospel in different tongues So in just three years, this is where we sit. Jesus' true followers, his goers, went from zero to 12, from 12 to 84, and then after his resurrection, he had 120 of them. These 120, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, had such dramatic results that they brought, after Jesus' death, from zero almost to tens of thousands of people coming after them. It talks about in Acts 2.41, it says those who accepted his message were baptized, about 3,000 were added in just one day. So what can we learn from Jesus? We're at the end of this ministry now, and this is the application part of, man, what can we learn from this? Tens of thousands of people over his ministry were attracted to him, but he didn't really put that much time into them what he invested the majority of his time was pouring into those goers because he knew that is going to be the only way that this message gets around the world is if i put my time and energy into these people who really care you see the listeners they fluctuated dramatically i showed you guys how there was none and then their tens of thousands kind of dropped built right back up. Jesus dies back down to none. The the learners, it was the same exact thing. Yeah, they had good hearts and maybe they took the extra step to learn a a little bit more, want to be a little more intimate with Jesus, but they still fell. It was at the end of the day, I think it's so interesting that the only thing that consistently grew in Jesus's ministry was those goers. We never really saw that take a dive. It was a thing that kept going up. And that's because that was his main mission, was to make devout, sold-out disciples. And so what I want to ask you tonight is, where are you? Where are you in those three? Are you a listener? And this is no condemnation at all. It's just where you're at. Are you listening? Do you come to church occasionally, sometimes, on the holidays? Do you only pray when you need God to show up and you need that miracle? Are you there just for the benefit? Are you a learner? Are you in that second spot to where, yeah, you're a disciple. Yeah, you, you know, you come to church regularly. You, You probably even serve. Maybe you're in a life group. Maybe you even tithe. Maybe you even fast sometimes. You've got all the outward. You look like a great disciple. You're doing all the right things. You are. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the obedience part of what true goers do, when it's uncomfortable and it doesn't make sense, and those times where you say there's no way that this could be God, but in your heart you kind of know it's God, but then you make excuses like, ah, I don't really know. In those times, do you just kind of coast and you push God to the side? You still do the outward disciplines. You're still going to church. You're still maybe fasting. You're still maybe praying, reading your Bible every day, leading a life group. But when it comes to obedience about the things that you don't agree with, you kind of stop right there. And I want to stop right there because that is what God convicted me of, of where I've been. There are certain areas in my life that I say, nope, (laughs) nope, not that one. I'm in that spot where when he tells me to do something like eat my flesh and drink my blood, I'm like, nope, not that one. I'm still going to do all this other stuff, though. Don't worry, God. But I'm not willing to be completely sold out to where I say, dude, this makes no sense. What are you even saying? This is ludicrous. God's, you know it's him, but you say, I just can't give it up. I can't do that. And I say that, and I preface this message with, man, I'm not preaching from a stage at you. I am with you. I really am. And I'm not even through it. But God has so convicted me, and I believe this is a call tonight to those believers who have been a a, a child of God, a follower, disciple, whatever you want to call yourself, but for so long, but you're not willing to give him those things that make you uncomfortable so you can take the next step at cultivating relationship with him so he can turn you into a a true goer and say, go out, I trust you now because you've given me everything. And that's the spot that I'm at and I'm still wrestling with God. I'm not through it, but I'm here to tell you there is a way. I may not be across the finish line, but I know who to go to to get there. And that's what i'm pushing you towards tonight because god has given each and every single one of us a call in our lives to be goers and this is what the goer is you not only listen to god but you have an outright devotion for him you have given up every single part of your will emotions intellect your future plans everything to him there's nothing else that matters it's like in John 6, when he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, everybody leaves. Jesus looks at the apostles. He says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, where else do we have to go? You have the words of eternal life. That is what he is looking for. You know, are you, are we sold out to be goers? And I'm not, I said this before, I'm not talking about, you don't have to go on a mission trip. That's awesome. Like, go do it if God's calling you to Go preach on a big stage. Go do all these things, like, out in the world. I'm talking about as you go. As you go in your job, wherever you work, at, you know, Coldstone Stone Creamery, Creamery, if you're a student, you know, if you're a sales guy, if you're whatever, as you go, be a real disciple. Be something that people can look at and be like, dude, that is weird and different, but I kind of want it, but I I don't. Like, have people look at you weird. If they're not, then you're just... Meshing in with them. Like, we've got no place doing that. I'm talking about as you go, be who God has called you to be. Have an outright devotion. Sell yourself out for him. Jesus was not in the business of just making mere converts. He wants people who are truly dedicated to him. Every single thing he says, every single, he wants you to listen he, he wants you to learn, but the most important thing is when those two come together, it, it, it's obedience. That's what takes us to the next level. And I believe that God, I know he is doing something in Tampa Bay with this, these people. I'm talking not just, I'm talking down to middle school. I believe like middle school, high school, young adults, like 12 to 13 to 30-ish year olds, that God is trying to flip this region upside down. We've seen signs of it. We've seen little tidbits of it. We've seen, you know, the breadcrumbs, and we're kind of following along a a little. I believe he does, but in order for us to take hold of something of that magnitude, you've got to be sold out. God wants it, how bad do you want it? He wants it more than you want it, even if you think you want it. I don't want fear and discomfort. And like I said before, a lot of the times it's easy, it's a lot easier to evangelize and talk about Jesus to a stranger because I'll never have to see you again. It's the fear and discomfort about those who are closest to us where we're thinking about what they're going to say. And I'm not talking about your unsaved friends. I'm talking about your saved friends right now. I'm talking about those people who we still even are in life groups with and small groups and we have community with and we're not sold out because it's even weird to them. What are we doing? I'm preaching from a place of literally existence, like I've been living in that place. God's calling me out of it, and he's calling you out of it too. I'm going to end with this this cool story I heard. Um, There was this guy who's a writer and a theologian, and it's a story about this man. So there was a man, he was born with this, like, awful facial deformity. He grew up alone, didn't have a lot of people with him. So when he was an adult, he said, you know what, I'm out of here. Um, He basically wanted to go to a new town to start a new life. So on his way, this guy discovered this beautiful mask. It actually made him look handsome. And so at first the mask was uncomfortable and he was afraid people in the town would be like, hey, that's definitely not your real face um, and find out who he really was. But he just continued to wear this mask and in his new hometown This guy made a lot of friends. He actually fell in love, had a fiance, and a wicked woman from his past, his old town, actually came to visit this town, found out who he was, and knew his true identity. So in front of all of his new friends, all of his, everybody, his whole entire community, his new fiance, she made him remove the mask. And so this guy removes the mask, and his face was handsome. His deformity was gone his face had conformed to the mask. And I believe that this is a, such a perfect example of becoming like Christ. Yes, it's gonna be uncomfortable. Yes, I can say, man, this sucks right now. Man, who am I trying to fool? I know what I did last night. I know what I did last weekend. I know what I'm thinking about on the daily. I know how I treat my parents. Who am I, who am I kidding? I can't kid them, I can't kid myself. Put on Jesus every single day. The more consistency you have with that, the more you're going to look like him. Let's get over ourselves. Let's let the pride go. And I feel like that was such a, pride, oh God, I deal with it a lot. (laughs) I think the more, um, just even like standing on a stage, it comes from the enemy a lot. This is not a big deal, it's not. I'm talking with you guys, I'm not talking at you. I'm in this, but pride can make you say, man, you can't admit that, don't even think about it. What are they gonna think of you? I'm talking to you guys with your friends, like what are they gonna think of you? What are they gonna think of me? I can't do this. But God has called each and every single one of us to be goers, just like these 12 apostles. He's looking for us to be truly sold out and devout to him. And that is my message to you tonight, is I believe that God wants to release something inside of you to where you have such a turnaround and such a new motivation and desire to give everything up to him that people aren't going to not be able to notice, and that is what is going to bring the revival to this region. It's not them seeing something that looks a little bit different, something that it's them seeing something that looks completely different, and it's Jesus. We have to put them on. And that's my only message. Let's start putting them on every day. Let's be consistent. Let's ask God right now if everyone can stand. I want you guys to start asking God right now, and I want prayer partners, if you guys can come to the front. Interns, if you guys can come to the front. God wants to set you free from the pride, the shame, the condemnation, the guilt, every single thing that has been trapping you and holding you in a literal jail cell. i i want to repeat it again this is for believers who've been here a long time do not let pride keep you in your seat release everything you've been holding on to and god is going to restore you that's what is that's what he does his word promises it stand true test god's word tonight test it see if he shows up i promise you he will So Father, right now, I pray in the name of Jesus for a boldness for your people right now, God, for them to release whatever it is that they've been holding on to, anything that is impeding someone from becoming a true devout follower of you, a goer, obedience, God, whatever is in the way, God, allow them to release it tonight. I pray for that boldness, and if it's hiding right now, I pray for an illumination, a light to be shown on it, God. Anything in the past Anything that is making someone think that they're not worthy, God, shine a light on it. And I pray for complete healing and complete restoration and a complete 180 for your people tonight to go out and be actual goers, obedient to everything you say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out the Crossing Church Message Podcast with Pastor Greg Dimas.